Blog Talk Radio.
All right. Now I'm going to see if I can find my other co-host who promised she'd be here. I'm just going to poke at the Facebook real quick. Hopefully she'll see that little message, and we'll see her in the host queue soon. Okay. Um, until then, um, I guess let's get started. So, Rubna, uh, what first got you into customizing? Well, I I was one of the the beginning pioneers that started customizing in the 1990s, and I had just gotten into collecting My Little Ponies themselves and had stumbled across the My Little Pony trading post. And a few of us on there started talking about, well, what do we do with these ponies that nobody wants? They're in really bad condition and and they seem to be, you know, fairly common ponies. And we just kind of started playing around and experimenting with them and turning them into something new and interesting. We loved the, I loved the creative challenge and the newness of it and thinking outside the box. Um, we experimented with all kinds of stuff, and part of that was it was new. You know, we didn't have any options or we didn't know where they were for things like hair or sculpting materials. And so we were bouncing ideas and tips off of each other and trying some really weird stuff that made some interesting customs, but they wouldn't really stand up to some of the ones that you see that people do beautiful stuff with today. Um, but that's kind of how I got started right at the beginning of the whole let's modify ponies into something new and different. Um, and, of course, when the G3s hit the market in the early 2000s, we were like, great, blank canvases we can acquire cheap and easy and we don't feel guilty about using the vintage ones. So it was it was love at first custom for me. Well that's awesome. So really we have you and a handful of others to really thank for um the customizing business really getting going. Yeah, and some of them like myself are still doing it and some of them are not anymore for various reasons. And when I started, I wasn't going by Rugna. Uh, I was on the trading post as Tiger Lily, uh, and I probably completed some customs under that name, but I don't know that they ever left the house. <laughs> I don't know that anybody has any marked by that. So, um, But, yeah, there was, there was a few of us that really kind of got it going back in the 90s, and look at where it is now. It's pretty amazing works of art. So. It's true, and it's a lot of fun to do. It is. Um, now, uh, what are what are your favorite poses to use in customizing? Do, do they change with the kind of what you're doing, or do you have ones that you tend to use more often than most? Well, it depends a little bit on which 
generation of ponies. Um, I'm mainly a G1 and G3 fan at heart, but I like all of them. Um, with the G1 ponies, my favorite poses are you know, the big brothers, the sweetheart sisters that have their head turned to the side, the gusty pose unicorns, and, and there's a few others. But I'm so picky with selecting ones that are actually bait uh, that I often don't end up customizing my favorite poses um, because I tie in a pose that I'm using with whatever design I'm going with pretty specifically. So my favorite ones for the G1s don't always get used. With the G3s, um, I looked up the names that they are on the Strawberry Reef site, so if people want to actually see what pose I'm talking about, they can do that. The Sweet Berry Diva pose was the first pose that I fell in love with from the G3 line. Um, it was the moon dancer that came out. She had her little boom box and stuff, and she was in that pose. And I'm like, I love this pony because of the pose. And I also like the crystal lace and sea spray poses, which are both looking up. And I probably use those three a fair amount. Um, but there's only a couple G3 poses that I don't really care for, and I usually find some custom at some point that uses them. So... <laughs> I kind of love all. <laughs> so there there are times when your idea dictates your choice of pose more so than just your favorite pose in general. Yes, definitely. Um, I think there was a, a pre-question on that, too, that, you know, sometimes my idea, I'm, I see a pose and I'm like, ooh, I have an idea. And sometimes... I have an idea, and I'm like, well, what pose? And generally, if it's a G1, the pose is kind of decided at the same time that the idea is forming in my head for what I want it to be. With the G3, sometimes that happens, and sometimes I have the design, and I'm like, well, do I want it facing right or left? And once I decide that, then I go digging through my bait box. And sometimes I'll... Uh, do the simple repose, which is swapping heads and bodies from different poses. Most of them line up fairly well. Sometimes you have to add a little sculpting to get them to line up, but most of them you can just swap and it's invisible. So do you ever do reposes? I've done some. Um, most of the ones that I, I would consider a repose, I'm swapping a head and body, and I've done that with all of the generations, um, but I have done some where I have actually done more sculpting to change the body position or leg positions or extend the neck or things like that. So I'm willing to try <laughs> any of them, but the, uh, the different generations and the materials that they're made of can change how easy or difficult that is to do as well. So, do you recall the very first custom you ever did, being one of the pioneers of uh, customizing? Um, I'm not sure that I could pinpoint a single custom. I always, even from the beginning, tend to work on multiple projects at once. Um, I remember a few that I worked on very early that were G1s. Um, one was a, a commission 
and one was uh, a pony that I had in my collection for a long time and then sold a few years ago. And then one I've still got that to show you a little bit of the experimenting we were doing. It was a newborn G1 that I got from someone else whose father had... Um, she, the pony was missing one of her legs completely. It had been chewed off or whatever. And he filled it in with silicone and then shaped it to look like the other legs. And I bought that, the base from her with the silicone leg and painted it and gave it hair. And I've never, ever decided on a symbol for it. Um, but it still has a place on my shelf. And then I do remember my first G3s. I made uh, a set of rock ponies based on the Japanese band X-Japan. And uh, they're all on one of my display shelves still as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, before I go too far into this, is there, um, where is the best place for our listeners to uh, view your work? If they want to see pretty much everything that I've done, they should check out my DeviantArt page, which is rugna.deviantart.com, and that's R-O-O-G-N-A. Um, if they're familiar with Piers Anthony's Zant series, it's uh, the same Rugna as in Castle Rugna. So. But all of my uh-huh. custom work is there for people to see. And it looks like you've done the Changeling Queen. I did. That was a commission. And uh, I did some experimenting with that. Her wings in that custom were actually made from plastic bags that I ironed. And I I came across a thing through Etsy where they were showing how to do that. And I was like, oh, I've got to try that. It's, it's so out there. I'm going to use it on wings. We're going to try this. And uh, it allowed them to be flexible yet durable, and it was perfect because it was a commission for uh, a child, actually, and we had talked about how sturdy the custom would be or not. You know, it's not really a toy once it's been customized. It's more a piece of art, but I tried to make it as kid-friendly as possible. Um, If it hadn't been a commission, I probably would have done her at some point. She's one of my favorite characters. Well, she is beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, it looks so amazing. And the fact that you used a plastic bag to make the wings is just incredible because you wouldn't know it from looking at it. No, you wouldn't. They look almost leathery, and they kind of feel that way. And they're not going to, it's not going to rip easily at all. I had to cut it um, because it's pretty, it's pretty tough, but it gives it that tattered look like she has too. Although I have to tell you right now, one of my favorites on your deviant art is Rory the Last Centurion. Yes. I absolutely adore Rory. He was a blast. I had... He was a commission. Uh, They had commissioned me to make the Matt Smith doctor and then followed it up with Rory. And at that point, I was working my way through the Doctor Who series on Netflix, and I didn't actually know who Rory was at the time that they commissioned me. But 
I finished that arc by the time I was done with the custom. So I grew to love Rory in more ways than one as I worked on that custom. That is wonderful. So again, for our listeners, that's rubna.deviantart.com. And if they want to find me, it's also Rugna on Etsy and uh, Rugna's Custom Creations on Etsy and Facebook. So they can follow me anywhere they like. <laughs> awesome. All right, so on your customs, is there like a little symbol or a signature that you ever put on your customs to let people know that it's yours? Um, I don't have any kind of trademark style or anything, um, but I always sign uh, my Rugna name and the year on the bottom of one hoof and then the pony's name on the bottom of another hoof so that um, whoever gets it can always know it was made by me and what the pony is called. Um, I also, if I'm sending it to someone, I send them a piece of paper that has some information and how to care for your custom and that kind of stuff. But uh, I just have the the signing on the bottom of the hoof. I don't have any type of trademark style. I've seen some other people do really amazing stuff with creating their own style, um, but they have to be careful on not getting limited by that. You know, I haven't seen anyone really struggle with that, but some people adapt better than others within the style that they create. And I just haven't wanted to get into that myself. Gotcha. So you mentioned that um you've done that that you like the Big Brother pose. How many of your customs have been Big Brothers in a previous life? I'm not exactly sure on the number. It's Probably around ten ish uh, maybe a few more i'm not I'd have to look back and and count through stuff, but that's part of how I've amassed actually having a little herd of a few hundred big brothers is that I buy ones that people are selling as bait, and I clean them up, and I'm like, well, that one's not bait. <laughs> And that one's not bait, and that one's not bait, and I'll I'll take ones that have like, you know, a perfect tail, and everything else is a problem, and I take one that is great but doesn't have a tail, and I'll give them the tail from the other, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm very picky about that, and I cringe when I see people take Big Brothers in not bait condition and customize them, and I have seen people take ones that have no cancer, no haircuts or anything, and still customize them, and that that's why I save them. <laughs> but I have customized them, and I just, the ones that I do uh, are truly beyond any amount of TLC, so I'm, I'm gotcha. pretty picky on my boys. <laughs> Yeah, I must admit, I myself am guilty of customizing a perfectly fine uh, daddy pony. But in my defense, I didn't have the mom or the baby, and yeah, I think he made a and, lovely daddy parasol. And and the ones that are the three dads are 
more common than big brothers and generally don't have the same kind of uh, pony cancer discolorations and stuff and regrinds that the big brothers themselves are prone to. That's true. To know your base. <laughs> but you'll be happy to know my text is still well loved and in the same condition that he was basically in 30 years ago, minus the hat in the in the bandana. Yeah, I had a wigwam growing up as a child, and I still have I still have him and his original accessories, and uh, so I, I had a boy from the very beginning in my childhood collection. <laughs> yep. The, I love the boys, but I I so very seldom get a chance to buy ponies for me. So I just have the two that were in my herd since the beginning, which is Daddy Sweet Celebration and his family. Right. And, uh, and, of course, actually, Daddy Sweet Celebration wasn't even mine. That family set was my sister's, but I saved it from her. They have no haircuts or anything. It's amazing. Well, and, and I've been on a little, like, personal crusade to get all the versions of the boys that are out there. So, like, the Big Brothers, I've got all of the U.S. releases and all the German releases that don't have the Pet 10 for the ones that came out that way. And there's actually, like, five different versions for the Three Dads, and I've completed the Daddy Apple Delight, and the other two I'm only missing the non-Pat 10 China version. So I didn't realize that there were that many until I started getting into it. (laughs) But... I, I like them. <laughs> I I I totally feel you there. I uh, I need more boys for my herd, actually, because Daddy Sweet Celebration is a family man, so Tex is my only playboy. Right. He's got a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of girls in my herd, so girls like the cowboy. <laughs> yeah. He's got a thing going on with bubbles. And uh, rumor has it he's got a thing for Sand Dollar as well. I think that was her name. Yeah. One of the color-changing ones. Right. Again, it was one I rescued from my sister, so. Okay. And uh, have you um, ever, so have you ever customized any of the, uh, well, I guess you'd call them baby brother ponies. Yes. Um, I did try to remember who he was to begin with. It was one of the peekaboo ones with the neck on the ball joint where his head can move and stuff. And uh, yeah. I did him last year, I think. He's now a, a dark blue with a fiery jack-o'-lantern symbol and, and kind of fire-like colored hair and uh, called Tawny Jack. So I did. Awesome. I have done one of those. And I, of course, picked, you know, one with the challenging head to take apart and make sure to put it back together so it still works. <laughs> yeah, the, the peekaboo ones are uh, another level of difficulty. I will yeah. admit that. 
I'm working on restoring a couple. And uh, as long as you don't break anything in the mechanism, you can put them back together. But that's the challenge: is sometimes that plastic is so old, it's actually kind of brittle. So you have to be careful. <laughs> All right, and uh, let's see where was I? You you mentioned that when you got when you first started customizing, um, since you guys were basically creating the the customizing um, idea, um, you thought outside the box a lot. What were what sort of hair materials did you use in the beginning? Um, I am definitely guilty of going to a store buying a fakie and destroying it in the process of removing its hair uh, in order to use it. <laughs> um, and I've used fringe uh, for to make hairy hooves on a pony. And um, I have painted the hair. My ex-Japan rocker ponies that I did, my first G3s, all have hair that's actually coated in paint to stand up in these 3D weird positions. And I only know of one other customizer that ever did that type of painting the hair, and that's Violet Starshine, who hasn't been in the customizing community for several years, but she did some beautiful customs back when she was doing it. And she also, I own one of hers where it's got the painted hair like that, which, you know, nowadays people are finding unusual ways to style hair and put pins in it and different decorations and one of the first things was literally to put paint in the hair so that it stood up in these 3D unusual styles completely on its own. Um, not brushable at all, though, at that point. But it wasn't sculpted either. We didn't really get into all the sculpting right off the bat. We didn't have epoxy sculpt, which is my favorite thing to use now, and uh, I don't think anyone was using things like Sculpty or Fimo or any of that at that point. So, um, recently, you know, I've tried pretty much every hair or hair substitute that anyone else has. Um, I found some mohair to be a lot of fun. The challenge with that is finding mohair that's not crazy short uh, from, like, batting or something like that. But most things are, are worth trying. It just depends on what you're going for at the look. Gotcha. And what's your favorite outside-the-box hair material to use? Is it the mohair or something else? I would probably say that my favorite that I currently use that's not a typical hair is the mohair. Um, it gives them a, a perfume puff type look. Uh, from the mohair that I used that came from batting. And I also have one that hadn't been turned into batting. It's still got the curls and everything that I've used. And uh, they're both a lot of fun to work with, but they, it's a very different style that doesn't work for your average custom. It really, I think, goes with the look of a specific design uh, and not just using it for any and all of them. Um, my my go-to hair, though, is nylon, right? <laughs> which I think most people use as their default. But 
And yeah, I think probably mine's on the... the... You think nylon's what? I think nylon's the one I've seen the most used. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think one of the most bizarre things that I've used on a custom is uh, I did Plava Laguna from the fifth element, and to make the the kind of tentacle that she has as her quote, hair, I used a vinyl jump rope and cut it up and painted the pieces and sculpted them onto her. So they're still flexible and kind of appear more like natural tentacles, but they're from a jump rope that I bought at the store. <laughs> that is really awesome. Yeah. So I love when I see people, and newer customizers will always experiment. They're getting into it. They're playing around with stuff. Those who have been doing it for a few years, they get into their groove of the materials that they like, and it's always good to play with stuff and experiment. And you may not like the outcome, or you may find something where it's like, that really worked. I'm totally doing that again. (laughs) That is good advice. That no matter how far you know you go into it, to make sure to do something unexpected that you've never tried before, right. every once in a while, and it keeps it fun at the very least. Exactly. You know, and especially one of the things that I tell people that are not collectors that are asking about it is it's. It's fun for all ages. It can be a family activity. You know, you could have a family, like a family game night, but it's a family customizing pony night, and you, you know, can use glitter and sequins and paints and whatever else you want and just have fun with it. That is a great idea. Because I can see it encouraging, you know, conversation and people having fun and... You know, it's you're being creative and actively thinking. It's not passive. Right. So that sounds like a great idea. So that brings me to a question that's a little further down on the list, but I think it ties in, is uh, what role do you think customizers have in, in the community? I would say in general, in in the pony collecting community, customizers provide new life to otherwise unwanted ponies. And I think that's really what it boils down to in essence. Um, It's definitely a form of artistic expression. And yes, people are are utilizing, you know, newer ponies um, and not just ones in poor condition that were vintage. Um, And obviously, as we said, it can be used for all ages to just play with and have fun. But when you're talking just in the pony collecting community, which is a very niche market, um, they are providing life to ponies that no one wants. The ponies that, you know, every year at the fair people pass over and don't even want to buy for a dollar because they're not in good condition. And one of the points that I I think I was getting to in another question when I was preparing, um, that's one of the things I like about the new trend about alternate rehairs. 
where people are taking vintage G1 ponies that had hair that was either gone or beyond fixing, but the body was fine, so they weren't truly bait, and they're just rehairing them in a different color, giving them new life and something different for collectors out there. Yeah, I I like those as well, and I, I've done one, and uh, it's in my collection still. But yeah, I think that's a great a great thing to do for ponies who have been well played with, but still have a lot of life in them. Right. I I've done one, uh, and I did a chief in red hair with a yellow streak, and he uh, I sold him, and I've. I've got a princess bait that is waiting for me to select hair colors. <laughs> so she's not really a bait. I mean, everything about her was fine, but she had uh, all her hair was trimmed down to the scalp. And so it's a perfect opportunity, right? Her symbols are great. There's no marks on her body, but she had no hair. So she's about to get a new hair, new hairstyle. <laughs> And so have you've you've worked with the vintage ponies and uh, newer ponies. Have you ever worked with uh, fakies in uh, a Hasbro mold? Yes. Um, I think one of the Hasbro mold fakies that came out that was kind of like a godsend to the customizing community were what we call the DG fakies. They were sold at Dollar General stores, hence the DG. And they were in the pose of a newborn Earth G1 pony. Um, I certainly bought every single one that I ever found in stores in my city. Um, And I've customized many of them, Um, some for myself, some for sale, some were commissions. I still have blank ones. One of the great things about those, though, other than the fact that they were in a pose, a G1 pose where we didn't have to customize the ever-shrinking supply of G1 bait was that they came in a literal rainbow of colors. So people that weren't comfortable doing a full-body repaint could still have the pony in the color that they wanted and do the rest of the customization that they want on the pony. So if they want an orange pony, they don't have to find, an, you know, a pony and painted orange. There was already like three shades of orange ponies in those molds. So those were fantastic. Um, I don't think that I've customized any others that were in a Hasbro mold. I have customized Totsies, which is a different brand, and I'm currently customizing one that uh, I don't know what kind it was, didn't say on it. It has a, a acrylic eyes though, instead of just painted on eyes. And uh, oh yeah, he's uh, it was an unusual kind of tall and lanky pose. So I'm turning him into a Frankenstein's monster that I will hopefully have done and posted by Halloween. So <laughs> now I wanted to tell you, I actually, it. I actually have one of your DG newborn customs. 
Yeah, it was it was a gift that was uh, given to me. It is puddles, and you did yes. her back in two thousand six. Yes, um, puddles is based on the G one petite pony of the same name, um, and I did. All of the petite ponies that had actual names, so those are the ones that came with playsets. I did DG baby versions of them. Uh, I kept a set for myself, and I did a second set. The whole set was commissioned as well for someone, and at that point I didn't want to part with mine, so I just duplicated the set, which I don't normally do. But I figured they weren't original. They were based on the Hasbro pony anyway. And then um, it was at... Last year's fair, the 2012 one in Florida, I decided that I needed space in my collection for other customs and ponies and uh, sold them all to someone who was going to divide them up and give them to people that hadn't been able to attend the fair. And I'm very glad that you have one and enjoy her so much. <laughs> yes, I do. She She actually sits on my custom shelf right next to my bed. So when I look up, she's one of the first ponies I see. Awesome. And she is absolutely adorable. I love the little duck on her. Yeah. The petite ponies, you know, they had some really cute symbols and and designs and color matching and stuff and uh, part of me thought it was a shame that they never made them in actual sized ponies, and that's kind of what spurred me to do that. Is I have all of the petites, so I'm a huge fan of those little itty bitty ponies. And uh, I said, they, I've got to at least do some of them, so I decided to do the ones that had actual names, um, which narrowed it down significantly from all of them that are out there. Because only the ones that came with playsets had names. Well, I think it was a brilliant idea, and I'm thrilled to have to have one of them. Well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so, how has the your your customizing changed over time? I mean, it started off as everything was new and outside the box, and uh, have you changed materials? Um, has your, your thoughts on customizing changed? Well, my my core thought hasn't really changed, and that's I make ponies that I know I'll like. Um, so I'm not making ponies with a design or something that I wouldn't be happy keeping in my collection just to try and sell it or something like that. So if it's a pony that I intend to sell and it never sells, I know that I will enjoy having it forever because I make sure that I don't create something that I'm not going to to like. And that's not to say that I haven't had final outcomes where I look back and go, man, I wish I would have done something different. But I uh, my goal is to always make a pony that that will mean something and I, I always like, even if other people don't agree with me on 
how awesome it really is. <laughs> um, as far as things like approach or materials, um, definitely materials have changed since the 1990s. Um, you know, I I use a rehearing tool, and when I first started, I was using a, the needle method where you would sew through and tie a knot or each strand, which was painful in many ways. And when I first tried the tool, and I went from spending more than six hours to rehair a pony to, you know, one to two hours, depending on how many hair plugs it had, that was a huge difference. And, of course, I, yeah. I use both methods. Yeah. And some people swear by that other method, but it it was the first method that I tried, and it was not the right match for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, now we have, uh, I use my epoxy sculpt for all my sculpting. Uh, I have not tried any of the oven-baked sculpting materials, and my only reason really behind that is I don't want to spend hours sculpting something to have it oops melt in the oven and have to start over from scratch. <laughs> uh, so I stick with my air drying clay and you know, I've occasionally had moments where something breaks or or something and I have to fix it but nothing where I had to start over from scratch. So um and and of course as far as a an overall presence out there, I uh I'm doing more commissions than I used to. Um and I'm doing less swaps than I used to. But I still I still have usually, you know, one to two organized swaps and and usually at least one personal swap every year. But that's definitely down from what I was doing, uh, you know, 10 years ago or something. So have uh, have you ever had a, a real-life situation inspire you to make a custom? I don't know that I've necessarily had a, a, a real-life situation. The only things that I could think of that were close was um, I got married on Halloween. Um, it'll be four years this Halloween. and Oh, happy anniversary. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and I did uh, what I call my Hallow Wedding Ponies. And I did uh, two G1 ponies that are in outfits that I sculpted that look exactly like the outfits that my husband and I wore. And uh, I just did them both kind of a, a lavender body and black and purple hair because the, the colors were black and purple uh, instead of using, like, my pony persona um, that kept it kind of neutral for both of us. And I let my husband pick the, the poses, so that was his contribution to it. Is I said, I mean, Doom and G1s, you pick the pose. And... So he picked them out, and, and I made them, and I was literally still putting hair in one of them the night before the wedding. But I had them out then sitting by our Nightmare Before Christmas guest book at the wedding. So 
they were there. I had ponies at my wedding. And I have since done um, wedding cake toppers for, of ponies for two different weddings. So, <laughs> Well, that sounds like a real-life situation to me. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. The only other thing was uh, I, uh, I have a kimono that inspired me to do uh, a pony at one point in the same colors and pattern that's on it. Um, and it's not like I didn't, like, sculpt a kimono on the pony. I just used it as the symbols and the color theme on the pony. So those were real-life turned-to-ponies, I guess. <laughs> well, I have to say that those sound like real-life ponies to me. I don't know about other people, but they sound like real-life situation ponies <laughs> to me. Yeah. And I, I did, now that I'm thinking about it, there was, uh, I've done one commission that was based on a real-life horse where they sent me pictures of uh, of their horse and had me do a G3 custom of it. And, of course, it was like a, a gray flea-bitten, you know, it had all these little itty-bitty dots and spots all over it. Uh, but I've done one that was then based on a an actual horse, too. I wonder. Let me see if I can find. Is the actual horse one in your in your gallery on Deviant Art? It should be. Um, but it might be. It's going to be further back in the gallery because it was several years ago. Would it be in commissions or? Okay. It, I don't know. If you there's a little search bar within the gallery, and if you type in horse. It does come up. It's Pablo, real horse custom, and I do have a picture of the actual horse in my little collage that I made of him too. Oh, there he is! I put in Pablo. Oh, that is a beautiful custom. Well, thank you. I it really was, like it. It was definitely that. a challenge with that the the way the coloring is on the actual horse, and they seemed very happy with how I captured it. So. I think you did a great job. Well, thank you. That was I'm only a, 2008. I, I thought that was longer one. ago than 2008. But I suppose 2008 was about five years ago now. It was five years ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of real horse customs. I, I I've never done one, but um, I love seeing them, and I, I I have to say there there's not a whole lot of people who do actual horses. No, they um, seem to be done by, you know, there's a few people that will do them repeatedly, and they do a beautiful job with them. And you know, at some point, I'll probably want to do another one, but not having a horse of my own as inspiration. Uh, <laughs> it would be tough to narrow down what what color pattern I'd want. Yeah, I I think if if I were ever to do one or ask someone else to do one, I I I used to know a couple of horses that I think I'd want done. <laughs> I've never had my own horse. Sad no. but true. <laughs> But my neighborhood isn't considered rural anymore. They've decided it's a suburb. 
they're not overly fond of you owning, you know, livestock in suburbs. Right. I'm and going course, to answer. You know, to many people would argue the horses are not livestock, and it, it really just depends on who's defining it. Because <laughs> sometimes they're livestock, and sometimes they really fall under pets, and it just depends on their use with horses. So, well, to me, I always think of horses as pets, but I'm fairly certain that <laughs> that like city planners consider horses livestock. Yes. Yes. All right, so yeah, that I think that probably falls under the real life situation inspired. <laughs> um, so, do you have like a dream project, like perhaps a, a, a pony that you've always wanted to do for yourself, and you just haven't had time, or that you have had time to do and have done? I'll speak about that. <laughs> My first thought with the dream project was that, um, you know, the the wish upon a star dream, right? Like that that I would be asked to do one of the giant pony project ponies for one of the official shows or that, you know, Hasbro calls you up and goes, hey, we want you to design one of those art ponies like we used to do. <laughs> those would be great. They definitely fall under dreams. Uh <laughs> And I, I own one of the giant blank ponies, but oh, I, wow. I'm torn because I'm like, well, it's really awesome to just have it. And if I customize it, then I won't have the giant blank pony, and I'll, I have to make sure that whatever I would customize it as would be epic beyond belief. And I, I haven't brought myself to do any of anything to it. <laughs> I don't think I would be able to customize it if I had one. I have yeah. one of these small white blank ponies, and I still have it mint in the box. Yeah, I still have <laughs> mine still in its box, too. You know, And I was just so ecstatic to get one finally at a price that I thought was not outrageous. And I, it joins my herd of those giant plushes, like the frilly frocks, and then I have, like, four of the giant ones from Australia. So they they take up quite a bit of room, but I like them. <laughs> and I and I have a husband who's very understanding about having ponies in every room of the house. So <laughs> it's important to have an understanding spouse in that regard. My yes. my husband has been very very tolerant himself. Uh they used to be all over the house and then I managed to carve out a pony room for myself. Yes. But, and so they were just in the pony room, but then we got pregnant. So. And then the pony room became the baby room. <laughs> yep. And so now all all of my ponies are in our bedroom. <laughs> so my husband goes to bed every night and wakes up every morning with ponies <laughs> staring at him from all sides. Yes. Well, and, I mean, it when when my when we were dating before we were married and he came over to the apartment that I was in for the first time, 
various stages of customs and beheaded ponies were on my coffee table. <laughs> and he sits down on the couch and he's suddenly like, what are these? <laughs> and why have you decapitated them? <laughs> and now that's just a, a constant state. So, <laughs> Yep, I believe my husband once said that my uh, heads on sticks waiting to be customized were were warnings to other ponies. <laughs> Not be naughty and to behave. That's right. They're actually giving the world's best makeover, but they don't know that going into it. <laughs> yeah. I, some days I kind of feel like Sid from Toy Story. Right. I just keep telling, I just keep telling myself I'm not I'm I, I'm not abusing them. I'm fixing them. I'm restoring them, in a way. Yes. <laughs> you know, I haven't made my half pony, half monkey monster yet. So technically, that's still that's true. Yes, I like the yet. <laughs> Well, you know, that's my dream project. I've I've been wanting to make a half pony, half monkey monster ever since I heard the Jonathan Colton song, uh, Skull Crusher Mountain. <laughs> it would definitely be something um, so, interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, I just, I haven't, it hasn't really fully coalesced in, in my mind what a half pony, half monkey monster should look like. Right, which part is pony and which part is monkey? I may have to make several and figure out which one's the keeper. It'd be like the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz, right? And you'll have your own little swarm of monster monkey things that <laughs> do your bidding. Oh, yes. Well, I used to tell people, uh, even as a as a teenager, I'd have friends come over and see my pony collection. And they'd be like, I'm kind of afraid to sleep in your, in here, you know? <laughs> Can we have slumber parties at my house from now on? <laughs> I'm like, oh, don't mind them. They're only my minion, minions that do my bidding at night. Yes. They are even minions. Though yeah, even though everybody's fairly certain they're just toys, once you put that idea in their head, they can't get it out. Right. So has has there ever been like a trade off like at our house since my husband has to put up with all my ponies and pony customizing I have in turn had to learn more about professional wrestling than I've ever wanted <laughs> to know. So has there has there been a trade off at your house? Not regarding ponies actually. Um uh, I'm the one with with most of the geeky interests. Uh, I have the pony collection. I have the comic book and anime and manga collections. And <laughs> uh, I have a collection of Japanese wafuku, which is the traditional clothes, the kimonos and obis and, and stuff. And tons of various art supplies all over the place. The ponies is definitely the, the big one. Um, but, like, my anime and manga and comics definitely rival that then. 
you know, my husband has a, a nice collection, and then we both teach martial arts, so we also, in every room of the house, have various forms of bladed weapons uh, for display and training and home protection. So, <laughs> you know, we just, it's a, and we have Halloween stuff out all year long, too, because that's my favorite holiday and when we got married. So the house has always got weapons and ponies and Halloween, and it's very an, a very interesting decorative option, I'll say that. <laughs> but I, I don't, I haven't really had to, to trade off on the, the ponies, which is nice for me, but... <laughs> So uh, what's, uh, you've talked a little bit about your inspirations. It sounds like, you know, Halloween has been one. Um, do you, have you found any, like, inspirational places in the proverbial pony land that inspires some of your work? Well, I don't know that there's anywhere in pony land in any of its incarnations that has definitely inspired a custom, but uh, my my favorite is the uh, the volcano of gloom. I like the witches from the volcano of gloom, and of course, Og the spider. I anyone that that knows me and my pony stuff knows that I I love spiders. My pony sauna has a spider on it, and you know I have spiders and all kinds of stuff, including a pet spider. And uh, so that's always been a favorite of mine, but I don't know that it's necessarily inspired a custom from anywhere in Ponyland. All right, so... uh... I do like the fact that the G1s especially had actual villain characters. You know, that was definitely lacking in the mid-generations. And then the G4s have touched on it a little bit, but most of theirs have, uh, A, not been as scary as the villains from the 80s, and B, are more often redeemable villains, um, which is actually a trend in a lot of media right now is to have villains that are redeemable, so... You know, I'm glad that they're there. My favorite characters are definitely the villains. Um, And of the four cosplays that I've done, three of them have been villains. So (laughs) that's kind of the ones that I enjoy more. And I guess that goes with my love of the Halloween and the creepy and twisted and stuff that I like to, to customize. So which villains have you cosplayed as? Um... My first cosplay was the first year they had the cosplay competition at the Pony Fair, which was in Rhode Island. And I was Gilda Griffin from the new series. And then uh, at the one in Florida, I was Discord. And then this year, I was uh, the Changeling Queen Chrysalis on day one. And then on day two... I was one of the few people that did a costume for day two, and I was Daring Do, so that was my first non-villain. And uh, it was a lot of fun to to play that character, too, but, you know, I really enjoyed the Chrysalis Changeling Queen that I did on day one. 
Well, then to and me, I'm, it I'm already like working on next year's, but I always keep it a secret until I get there. So I can say gotcha. that next year's is also a villain. <laughs> All right. But it does sound like in Ponyland, if one were to uh, to to say that you were inspired by something, it does sound like uh, the dark underbelly of the pony world. Yes, is, uh, it would be. <laughs> the, the evil layer of villains. <laughs> but, you know, I have to tell you, I am a huge fan of villains myself. Um, I particularly love villains that are, how shall we say, morally ambiguous. Right. Where you're not really sure if they're a villain or not, and maybe they don't even think of themselves as a villain, but they're clearly supposed to be the villain. You just can't right. figure out whose side they're on for a while. <clears throat> yeah, which is kind of, I guess, what Gilda Griffin falls into is that she's, you know, not really evil. So, <laughs> you know, but you can't tell if she's really you know, a jerk at heart or if she just doesn't have the right social skills. (laughs) Yeah, you know, or if there's, you know, something that she's compensating for, some unspoken history back there. Yeah, I have to say, I, I, my favorite, my favorite villains so far in My Little Pony have been, um, the villain from from the pilot G one episode, he was kind of scary. Yes. Um. And I liked. Um. I really liked Nightmare Moon. I was really excited when uh, Friendship is Magic opened with Nightmare Moon. Yes, she's and, uh, she's probably my favorite from the new one. That I I haven't cosplayed as her yet, but she's probably my favorite of the villains from the new cartoon. Well, she's absolutely gorgeous, and she was, yeah. you know, for a modern cartoon, she was really scary. Yeah. Yeah, she was, she's really still the only villain that the Friendship is Magic cartoon has had that's actually been scary. Right? The, you know, Discord wasn't really scary. And the Changeling Queen wasn't frightening in the same way. And then the the one from the the Crystal Palace, you know, you never saw what he could really do. So it wasn't that scary. You just saw that everyone else was scared. But Nightmare Moon was just scary. (laughs) She was. And, And I was... I was really hoping that that would be kind of a trend, but it seems to be reserved for either opening the season or closing out the season. Right. And uh, we were yeah, all and I totally when we saw it. <laughs> yeah, and I totally understand that you know it, the show is for little kids, and you've got to give them the moral lessons about the importance of friendship and you know all these different aspects. But at the same time. But eighty cartoons did that too, and they had more villains. Yeah, yeah. I uh, 
I was kind of hoping that at one point she'd reemerge, that Luna would have a relapse of, of some kind, you know? We hold out eternal hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it seemed almost like a like a possession rather than a personality flaw. Right. Well, and I, I must admit that I have a... I like the fan interpretations that Celestia is actually the evil one. I mean, think about it. She banishes her sister to the moon for for all intents and purposes for eternity. She turns Discord to stone. You know, she she rules with an iron fist or a hoof, and she's not afraid of dishing out severe punishments to people in order to maintain her rule. So, you know, I sometimes it's like she's actually the one that we should all be scared of. Well, and depending on uh, the mythology, the sun has been not necessarily always the benevolent figure. That's there. true. And that brings me back to the morally ambiguous, because <laughs> we're led to believe that Celestia is the good one, but, of you know, it could just as and easily be written as Celestia being the, you know, tyrannical, you know, control freak. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and we've seen her wield the dark powers now, and Twilight Sparkle picked up on that and has also wielded dark powers now. So <laughs> that really gets into that gray zone of are they good, are they bad? Because, you know, she wasn't just telling her about it. She showed her how to do it. <laughs> and yeah, in fact, uh, Twilight Sparkle, is, is being Celestia's protege, may never have learned what she's learned without Celestia's right. guiding hand. That's true. All kinds of stuff that we can read into it, and that's part of the fun. <laughs> that's true. That's part of the fun of being an adult is we can we can look outside the uh, intended viewpoint and say, well, you know, if you really look at her actions. Right. Well, and, and when kids are playing with the toys, you know, you know the the princess isn't always going to be the princess and the hero is not always going to be the hero. You know, they make up their own roles for the toys and play out their own adventures. So. That's true. I have <laughs> and I'm too old for this, but I have a whole governmental system set up for my ponies. <laughs> so I, uh, Majesty is, of course, the queen. And then my collector's pose ponies are a parliament. Awesome. And uh, I have all the I, I have all the first wave princess ponies, and they are uh, they're like grand sages. I can see that. So I have. That Majesty may rule, but she she only has rule at the at the pleasure of the Grand Sages. 
Right. And I sort of took that from, you know, the cartoon. The princess ponies were the source, as it were, of all the other pony magic. Right. And, uh, sorry, I've gotten almost a little off topic, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Normally, we'd ask, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? But since you're one of the founders of Customizing, what is the best piece of advice you've given others? Hmm, let's see. <laughs> um, in the beginning, the thing that I would tell people most often was about painting, how to paint, what paints to use, that type of stuff. And, of course, Actually, one of the best pieces of advice that I've received is uh, to use acrylic extender in my acrylic paints. And I would not go back to, you know, occasionally I use paints for certain parts that I want thicker where I don't put the extender in it. But for like a full body repaint, I always use that now. Um, But I find that nowadays the advice that I usually find myself giving is to experiment, to have fun. You know, that's part of why we customize. It's we enjoy doing it. If you're not enjoying it, why are you doing it? You know? And I know that there are some customizers that are like, man, I've gotten so stressed out about this and I I need to take a step back and say that's exactly what they should do. If they've gotten stressed about it where it's no longer fun, then they need to take a break. And, you know, I'm fortunate in that I haven't ever gotten fed up or stressed out about it. In fact, I usually complain that I don't have enough hours in the day to do everything that I want to do, including customizing ponies. Um, And I I work on, you know, several at one time. So our coffee table is pretty much taken over with my customizing space. But, (laughs) you know... That's really the advice that I would tell people is to never stop being creative and never stop experimenting. You know, whether you're just starting out and everything's new or you have a system in place, you've been doing it for a while, try something different. You know, buy some mohair or some yarn and try something different with the hair. Or, you know, if you normally paint one way, try a different way of painting using a different type of brush or something outside the box from what you normally do. That is excellent advice. I I agree with that because I do see a, a lot of people get caught up in, um, you know, I'm not as good as this person, I'm not as good as that person, oh, this is... Everybody says this is the right way to do it, and I like to believe that in art there is no such thing as a wrong way. Right. As long as you get the results you want. Right. I mean, and art's subjective, right? People like different things. And I remember at one point I I got a little frustrated with the fact that, you know, I was doing more swaps at one point than not, and I had someone say to me that they really wanted a custom of mine, but they would wait and see if they got me in a swap instead of 
commissioning me or buying one that I had for sale. And that really made me think, and I I was talking to another customizer friend about it, and she said, well, she was, you're, sometimes I think you're too creative. And what she was meaning by that is, is I'm outside the box. You know, I wasn't making stuff that necessarily people wanted to have in their herd. They thought it was cool, right? They were like, oh, that's different. I like that. You did something really neat. But it wasn't something that they necessarily wanted to have. And that helped put it in perspective for me a little bit at that point in time that you can appreciate something and you can really like something but not necessarily, you know, enjoy it enough to want to look at it all the time in your house, right? Or you could say, well, wow, that's really a piece of art. But still, you know, it's a different different a levels of appreciation. And, you know, I go to a museum and there's pieces of art that I like and some that inspire me and some that I just can't get out of that wing fast enough because I don't like it. But other people really love it. And that's part of the beauty of art is that anyone can do it. You're your own worst critic, but as long as you're making something that you enjoy and that you like, that's what matters. I I totally agree. I I, I think that, you know, if as long as you feel that you've done something wonderful, even if nobody else agrees, you know, or or they, they get all upset about it, I, I think that as long as you're happy with it, that's that's the first person you have to please. Because if you don't start out liking it, how can anybody else? Right. And that's that's well, different that's different than people that are looking at their own work and criticizing it and that they're not good enough and it's like there's a difference between liking what you do and being down on it. Right? You can like what you do but still always be striving to improve and you can just be so overly critical of yourself that you never actually improve. And that's the difference there is that even if you're not happy with the outcome, you made something that you enjoyed doing and you learn from the experience and you'll do better next time. I agree. And I would like to introduce you to our other co-host who uh, has just joined us. <laughs> so, Rubia, I would like to introduce you to Summer Blade. Hi. Hello. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I called in a few minutes late, but um, I've been listening in. Oh, great. <laughs> well, it's nice to meet you through this medium as well. <laughs> <laughs> always always good to meet new people. Exactly. And um, I think a lot of the advice that, that you were just talking about with um, – uh, taking steps back from your customs sometimes. I think that's really, really a good idea. Yeah. Well, and I was impressed at this year's My Little Pony Fair when I took my customs down for the contest part to register them. And I set them up on the table, and I looked around at the other customs. There were ones that I expected from certain artists that I could recognize and certain skill levels. But I was really impressed this year that there were people that were obviously 
new to customizing or younger customizers whose skill levels were, you know, just from looking at it, their skill levels weren't up there. They hadn't had that much experience or practice, and they were still putting themselves out there and turning in their customs into the competition. And while, you know, none of them placed in the in the custom pony parts, there were pieces in the other art and handicraft stuff that I was surprised won. And they they won by popular vote. You know, so you never can tell it what people are going to like on any given day. You know, but I was impressed that people were new to it and starting out and they were still, I'm going to put mine out here with all these other customs and let other people vote on it. And I'm sure that they, that everyone got some votes. Everyone's there with friends and family and, you know, the friends and family vote for the friend and family they're there for usually, but not always. You know, <laughs> but it's still it's important that they're willing to not just create but to share their creations and you know, maybe some of them got feedback from people while they were there. You never know. They could have run into someone and asked them about how they did something or someone complimented them on it and that spurs them to create more and grow. Well, definitely. I completely agree with that. Um, part of of being an artist and taking your art to that next level is to be open to to constructive criticism and to be able to look objectively at your work and always be wanting to reach that next level. Right. Mm-hmm. And the constructive criticism is hard, you know, and it's hard for people to give without just turning into criticism, and it's hard for people to take because it's your work, and we're all, as much as we like to think we're thick-skinned, we're not. <laughs> so, you know, but you'll always have somebody that likes and supports you in what you do, and if you if you honestly look around and you see that you don't have anyone, then you probably should question those that you keep around you because you should surround yourself with people that like you and are supportive of the things that you do that are good and creative. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I do know a lot of people who have been artists or are artists who seem to surround themselves with people who just, don't get what they do, don't want to get what they do, and yet they're constantly going to those people looking for, you know, support and not getting support. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that might be a time to take a step back and analyze, you know, is... Is this the sort of person, I mean, do I really want someone that's just going to be constantly saying, that's stupid, you know, you need to grow up, it's a pipe dream, or, you know, maybe that's someone that you have as a friend, but a distant friend, you know, if you really are that attached. Um, Because I think that in any endeavor that that you really want to uh, go far in, you need to make sure that you're not sabotaging yourself. Exactly. And I think 
Yeah, it, I, I have I, I have yet to be able to go to to one of the fairs, but it, I am encouraged that there are new customizers out there that are so bold and so brave that they're um, willing to take that chance because it is so easy to say, well, I'll I'll wait to do it till I'm at least as good as this person or that person, and if that person you're trying to measure up to is constantly improving themselves, right. You know, that and, day may never you know, come. It's one thing to be inspired by somebody else's work, and it's another to put yourself on a direct comparison and you're trying to outdo them at what they do. You know, yeah. when we teach our martial arts, we say it's the only competition is with yourself. Are you better than you were the day before? It's not, are you better than that person or that person or that person? It's, are you better than you were the day before? I completely well, agree. Yeah, and definitely some for some people, for actually for a lot of people, the hardest person to compete with is yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just because I remember the first custom contest I was in, and I knew that the stuff that I was putting out was not as good as everybody else's, but I did it anyway, and um, most mostly because my family encouraged me to do so. Which is good. And you can always do something and go, well, I don't like the end product's skill level, but I like you know, the color combo that I did, or I like the symbol, or there's something about it that you can take from it, and, you know, maybe down the road you'll recreate it and go, ha, that's what I wanted it to look like. (laughs) Yeah, actually, my very first... You can see where you've gone. (laughs) Yeah. My very first swap pony, and I was so nervous because I'd never been in a swap before, and... I decided I was going to do sculpted wings. I'd never done sculpted wings before. <laughs> I said, you, Big you know what, I'm going to do sculpted wings. And, and gradiated paint jobs. And I'd never done any of it. And looking at it now compared to the work I've done, uh, the work I'm currently doing versus what it looks what it looked like then, I can see where my flaws were. But I'm still so right. proud of that piece because... I decided to do something that I wasn't even sure I could pull off. Right. Rather than taking the safe way and, you know, just doing a little paint here and there or something. And so I'm I'm very encouraged to hear, Rugna, that, that that's what you saw at the fair. Yes. Yeah, there was, this year there was a lot of, a lot of growth in many ways at the fair, but I noticed that among the customs that it was not just customizers that we would recognize. And it was not just, oh, pretty customs, high skill levels. And, you know, like I said, everyone likes different stuff. And you look at famous artists and you've got like Picasso that did abstract stuff. And, you know, there are people that look at it and go, well, that doesn't, look like it, you know, pretty or or whatever, but it's a different type of art, 
he was trying something different. So I like, you know, I like I lo- seeing them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to say that um, at one point on the arena, I bought somebody's first custom. It, it wasn't even for sale. Like, you know, she did her first custom. She posted pictures of it. And I liked it so much that I bought it from her. And it's still in my collection today. And to sit, I, I couldn't say that it's, you know, the most, you know, over-the-top custom pony. It's not. It's a very simple and beautiful design. But... I found merit in it. She uh, did a sunflower on the screen, G3 fakey, and you know, um, you can it's tell it's you. her. <laughs> you can tell it's it's her first time painting eyeshadow on a pony, and you know, um, but the sunflower, she you can see how much love she put into the sunflower, and it's. I know how hard it is to do flowers. I find flowers difficult, and I think she yes. did a great job. I agree. So I, I, purchased <laughs> I purchased it and and told her that, you know, if this is what she could do for her first pony, that I really wanted her to stick with it because imagine what her 50th pony is going to look like. Right. Well, and I, I got someone majorly into customizing and collecting and the pony community in general. Um, A few years ago, I was in the year leading up to the wedding, um, I was introduced online to Tuneful, who's one of our our male collectors in the community, and he commissioned me for this humongous set of newborn ponies based on comic book characters. And we did them in batches, and stuff through the years. I was also preparing for the the upcoming wedding. And after he got all of those, he was like, I love ponies. And he's, you know, got customs by others. He's done all these customs himself now of dyeing the ponies and adorning them with jewels and doing their hair and, and did, like, Greek god series. And, of course, I even got him into the Nirvana ponies, so he's collecting all these, you know, rare and expensive ponies as well. And he started out not collecting ponies at all and commissioned me for a set of customs based on comic book characters. And it started him on the uh, the path of ponies. <laughs> well, there you have it. Comic book uh, inspired ponies, a gateway drug. That's right. <laughs> it's the double whammy there. <laughs> Well, that's what cut started me customizing too, so I guess you're kind of right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I I've seen yeah, other I, people that mention that, you know, well, I don't collect, I just customize. And then you see them like a few months or a year into it and they're slowly collecting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I got into customizing because I had a collection that needed to be restored. And uh, K. Cherry Ka restored my ponies for me. And uh, I liked it so much that I felt I needed to do it too. Mm-hmm. And it's 
started as trying it out and became, I make more money doing customs than I make in the traditional business venture that I'm into. <laughs> well, that's pretty successful. <laughs> well, that remains to be seen. I don't know. But, um, Ru- Rubna, do you pr- have any um, professional goals as far as your, your customs? Is it your, uh, is that what you do professionally, or do you have another business that supports your customizing? Um, my, my kind of internal goal with them is that I can sell enough, usually through commissions, to at least offset some of the cost of collecting, um, especially since I collect Nirvanas, which are pricey. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, I mean, it's, it's a labor of love more than anything else. Um, you know, I, most of the customs that I sell are to non-collectors and they're, they commission me. Um, you know, I've done some very awesome swaps, both organized and personal through the community. Um, but I don't have a lot of luck selling customs or commissions to people in the collecting community. Most of those go to people that don't collect ponies at all. So... You know, my my Etsy shop's been very helpful in in that when I started it uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago, something like that. Um, so goals for the future, I always try to keep improving and, uh, you know, would like to just be able to continue to support myself a little bit with them, but... My my customs fall into a few categories. I make customs for myself that I never plan on selling. I make customs for swaps. And I make commissions. And that's really where my customs fall into. And generally, I'm working on at least two of those three categories at any given time, uh, which is not bad. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, I always... I'll make a pony and be like, well, maybe I'll want to sell this one. And then I finish it and I'm like, no, no, that one's staying with me. I like it too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what sort of research do you do before starting your pieces? That depends on the custom. Um, if it's for a swap, I'll look into what my partner likes or if there's a theme and the type of inspiration that should fall under whatever the swap is is based on. Um, If it's for myself, uh, there's usually not a lot of research unless I have a specific idea for something and I want to look at some pictures on what something looks like. Like I recently did a, a custom that's got a jellyfish with a ray gun as the symbol. And, you know, I looked up pictures of actual jellyfish and and vintage retro ray guns, you know, like the cartoon type from the 50s. And, and just to kind of make sure that the shapes I was doing were what I was thinking in my brain uh, before committing them to paint. But usually I don't have a lot of 
research on a piece in general. You know, and sometimes I'll just be looking at themes that I like when I'm surfing the internet, and I'll go, "Ooh, that piece of art that someone's done is really neat. It inspires me in some way." And I'll, you know, bookmark it or save the picture so that I can look back at it and later and go, "Yeah." That still inspires me. I think I need to make something now. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, uh, Summer, since you just uh, since, since you're just joining us, why don't you uh, pick out some hot seat questions? Well, I, I have just one off the top of my head. Um, have you ever made a piece and come up with a design? And then all of a sudden you've started working on the custom and it just sort of uh, goes off in its own direction? Or have you ever had something that it just turns out completely different from the original plan? Yes. <laughs> and i that's part of art, too. Um, I remember at a very early age, uh, I was in, it was like, first grade or something, and they had this artist come to the school before our art class one day, and he was doing a, a demonstration. And he was basically, for his piece, doing like Snoopy on, on the doghouse, right? And he went to paint something, and the paint, there was too much, and it started sliding down the canvas. And he was like, you know, you make a mistake, you just work with it. And so he turned that into the collar that Snoopy would be wearing. And that's stuck with me. And so I do things like I'll challenge myself by doodling in ink, right? Because then if I make a mistake with my line, I have to work with it. I can't erase it. And I think that's a good challenge for an artist to do is something like that where they have to work with the mistake instead of scrapping it, you know. So I've definitely had some customs where I started out with a design in mind, and by the end, it was nothing like what I originally thought I was going to be making. Um, I've had others that I'm, like, all inspired to do it, and I get going into it, and about halfway into it, my inspiration just fizzles. And I'll set it aside for sometimes years, and then pull it back out and go, I think I can do something with this now. And it, I won't even remember what I was originally going to do with it, or maybe I do, but I'm doing something different anyway because I have a new inspiration for what to do with it. So that that definitely happens. And, you know, some artists just, I think, give up on a piece. But I don't remember who it's by. There was a quote, too, that I, I'd heard at one point that um, the real key to being an artist is knowing when to leave a piece. That an artist is never going to be completely happy. They're never going to reach that ultimate final product. There's always going to be something else that they think of later they could have done to the piece. And so the judgment in that is when did they decide to step back and let the piece be finished even if they're not finished? So there's lots of things in art that you can challenge yourself with and be open. So 
so that if you start on one path, go with the path. See where it's leading you. You can always go back and do that other idea later if you still feel inspired by it. Yeah, I totally agree with that because, I mean, to me there's... And when an artist has made a piece where they like absolutely everything about it and there's nothing they they would change, that's when the artist has stopped growing. Right. And I I think art is inherently supposed to be a tool for growth, for challenging us to think and to do. And it's a form of self-expression. And either you're growing and so what you're expressing is changing or you find yourself in a rut, in which case you need to step back and look at things differently. And for some people, that may mean changing how they express it. So if they express through customizing ponies, they may step back and go, you know, I need to do something different, like pottery or gardening or, you know, any number of things that they could do. And they just need a a different way of expressing because part of art is expressing your feelings and your thoughts and who you are through your pieces. Well, and as an artist, I think it's very important to remember to periodically just take a step back anyway, even if you're still satisfied because it gives you an opportunity to recharge yourself. Right. You know, um, as as an artist, I I think we all pour ourselves into what we do. And so taking a step back periodically and taking a break, I think, is um, a good idea because it allows us to fill ourselves back up again. Right. You know, it's not letting yourself get to the point where you have, you know, an active waiting list of a year or more and more customs than you could possibly complete in two years on your table with deadlines and customers waiting for them because that's just going to stress you out. And I've seen customizers get to that point and they pull out and, you know, they're refunding money and limiting the ones they're going to finish and it's like, they have to make a life call at that point, but they let themselves get overwhelmed and with it instead of just enjoying it. And part of the entrapment in that is we all sometimes would like to take a little bit of money off of our art, and so if someone's interested in paying us for it, we'd like to take them up on that offer. But sometimes you just, you can't or you shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, when it becomes a chore it's and not really a hobby, there's not much point in doing it anymore. Right. Or at least not at such a stressful level. Right. Yeah, and I think for, for individual pieces, I, I, 
I think a fairly good guideline is when you get to the point where you want to huff the pony at the wall, that's a good time to set the pony down, leave it alone for a couple of days. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have to tell you, I have had ponies that I have had to do that with, commissions even. Now, I, I only yes. set it down for a couple of days because it was a commission. But, you know, sometimes you have to just go, okay, breathe in, breathe out. Sometimes they're just, they're, they challenge us in more ways than the actual physical process of creating them. <laughs> Sometimes it's almost a mental challenge and a challenge of, oh, patience yeah. and possibly something else, but I'm not sure what. But definitely um, patience. Definitely. Well, especially if you accept a commission from someone that turns out to be one of those customers. Like, every couple of days, they're sending you an email. Going, you know what would be fun to do to my piece that I've already paid for? If we had this other thing that I haven't paid for. And that would be free, right? <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. But I've actually avoided most of that, but... I do work out like every, I try to work out every imaginable detail on the front end <laughs> and ask a myriad of questions and, uh, you know, and, and I've found that if I offer to send like work in progress updates or pictures, especially if I, if I know it's going to take several months, I tell them on the front end, you know, this is going to take at least this many months could take a little more depending on life, you know, but I'll send you updates. And usually that works out great. Occasionally you get someone that they want to email you like every day, do you have a new update? You're like, I worked yesterday, I had to sleep, I haven't worked on your custom today, you know, but uh, it's, people just get excited about it and some people are more patient than others, but well, I don't mind the ones where they want to know an update, but, you know, when they're like, when they want earth ponies and all of a sudden, and that's what they pay for, and all of a sudden they're like, you know, I've decided I'd really like to have some sculpted wings on that pony. <laughs> well, you didn't pay for that. That'll be this much. But maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that's... And if I am, I'm glad, because it's a frustrating situation sometimes. Which uh, brings me to uh, one of my off-the-cuff off questions. Have you ever had a customizing experience that just made you angry? Um, my only negative experiences uh, have been a couple of swaps uh, one was an organized swap, and one was a, a personal swap with a well-known customizer um, that had to get moderators involved that it still ended, you know, not happy. But, uh, you know, it's I'm not 
going to speak ill of anybody, but there have been instances where issues come up. And I don't pretend to understand why or how they happened, but they happened. And they were very upsetting at the time. And, you know, I I cried about it. I vented to my husband and in one case got moderators involved to get some outcome from it. Um, but, you know, I had to move on. It wasn't worth holding on to that stress and letting it affect me. I, you know, did what I had to without trashing anybody uh, other than, you know, my husband who, who's not going to tell anybody, you know, in, in my venting process. Um, so that is an unfortunate aspect of dealing with people, you know, is even if they're normally an awesome person, everyone goes through times when they're not as awesome a person. And sometimes those things bleed out into other stuff that they're involved with. And so I don't, I don't pretend to understand why negative things happen, but they do, and you just you have to move on. can't let it fester or affect anything else you're doing. You know, mourn it, vent for it, uh, you know, but keep it to yourself uh, or, or at least keep it off the Internet um, as far as the ugly stuff because that will only come back to bite you later on if you, you know, don't put anything in writing unless you're willing to have it forever and public. <laughs> so, you know. I agree. Oh, yeah. It's uh that's that's definitely and unfortunately a lot of people forget that when they get on the internet, which is right. the most public place in the world. Yes. I, I wish right. it was all rainbows and happiness, but life happens, yeah. and sometimes you get situations, and, and you know, really only one of those, I would say, one, one of the instances was a truly negative thing, and that's because it was a personal swap with a customizer that I respected, had met in person, and it still turned out negatively, and... That's unfortunate, but I move on. So I just know in the future that I'm not going to do another swap with that person. And if they're in an organized swap that I'm in, then I would send a message privately to whoever's running it and say, please don't pay me with that person and just leave it at that. So, But they're not very active at this point either. <laughs> so hopefully I won't run into the organized swap issue, but... Uh, you know. It's hard when that happens and it's it's painful and everyone's probably going to go through it at some point, whether it's with ponies or something else, and you really just gotta find a way to let go and move on and get back to the part that you enjoy about it. That is some good advice. <laughs> You know, that I mean, venting to a, 
a spouse or, you know, a significant other or a life partner, I think is a good way to get it out there without having it be like the perpetual drama mill that we sometimes see right. on places like Facebook and uh, message boards and such. Yes, and, and when it goes public, people, they take sides without understanding the entire situation because both sides are obviously biased and you can't be certain that 100% accurate information was revealed to everyone that's been taking sides and it only makes the situation worse. Oh, yes. That that can easily blow things out of proportion. When really the better thing to do is, you know, just as you said, to vent to a spouse and um, just sort of blow it off and move on from it. I've had similar situations with uh, not necessarily customizing, but um, with working in a bakery and decorating cakes. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can I could say that uh, sometimes dealing with difficult customers can be nerve-wracking at best. <laughs> right. Almost downright depressing at its worst. Yeah. Well, so perhaps... The, the Internet thing. actually makes it more challenging because you can't... When you read somebody's text on the Internet, you don't get a sense of their vocal intonations, right? Were they being sarcastic? Were they being serious? Were they joking? You can't tell from reading the words on the page. Yeah, and that's definitely the hardest thing to deal with, with um, a text-only form of communication. Right. Emoticons are only so useful. <laughs> this is true. And some, and even emoticons can be misconstrued because, because like, I have known people who have put, you know, the little smiley face with the tongue sticking out to try and let people know that they were joking. Right. And have people construe that as, you know, being menacing or taunting. Right, or rude, or, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, even... Or they put a smiley face after they've said something rude to kind of make it seem like, you know, it should all be all nice at the end, even though they just said something mean. And it's like, well, putting the smiley face at the end doesn't change what you said. Yeah. Well, and then there's just, you know, a poor choice of words. It sounded right in your head, and then you typed it and hit send, and then you read it and sound. Yes. (laughs) And we've all done that, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, as a general rule, you know, I am more than happy to let people, you know, vent to me, but I, I try not to specifically get involved or take sides unless I see a real trend. Right. Like a real pattern of behavior. Because it's so hard to know when you're not there in person. 
you know, how yeah. it really went down. Exactly. And uh, so, Rudna, have, what piece that you've done so far in your illustrious career as a customizer are you the most proud of? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I've done a, a lot of customs that would fall into the I absolutely love them category. Um, some of them I've kept, and some of them were for swaps where I'm like, I feel so bad letting it go, but I know I'm going to get something equally awesome in return. <laughs> um, you know, obviously my, my How a Wedding Ponies hold a special place because they're they're my wedding ponies. Um and I I have a very special place for my shark customs that I do. Um which I I've made four so far and I have two of them. I have my very first one which uh part of me wants to go back and try and fix her sculpting because it was done so long ago it's definitely not smooth. Um and I own one other one, and then I don't remember who bought the third one, and then the the most recent one, Amber Jewel, I did a trade with her, and so she has one of my shark customs. Uh, but I, everyone was doing mermaids and all these pretty mermaids. I'm like, mermaids are not my thing. I've always liked sharks. What am I going to do? I'm going to do a hammerhead pony. <laughs> and so oh, I... I Three of them are hammerheads, and one of them was a tiger shark. The tiger shark was for Amber Jewel. And uh, so those definitely are are a favorite of mine because they're sharks. And and I pointed out with my first one that, yes, they are carnivorous, so sea ponies beware. (laughs) I will have to look those up because tiger sharks are my absolute favorite sharks. Yeah, and the the tiger shark is done in like a sea greeny and teal color scheme. So I definitely enjoyed doing that one with all its stripes and stuff too. Now, what did you use to do the stripes? Did you just do like a traditional paintbrush, or do you use an airbrush? Um, almost all of my customs have been painted by hand. Entirely. I got an airbrush um, almost two years ago, Christmas, um, but then I didn't use it at all until, you know, right around the time of the 2012 Pony Fair. I used it on a shirt for my cosplay at the Discord, and I drew an anarchy symbol on a black shirt. And then Pop Girl was at the fair. And then along with her demonstration, she let me, like, pick her brain because I got the same airbrush as her and see how she cleaned it and that kind of stuff. And I've used it on a few customs, um, but not for a full-body repaint. I've used it for some gradients and stuff. Uh, and and I like using it, but I like doing my full-body repaints by hand. And uh, that was one of the reasons that I did the spotlight on the My Little Pony Arena for September on full body repaints um, when I was approached about 
doing a topic for their customizers thing is that I do mine by hand, which most people do until they save up to get an airbrush if they want one, and how to do it smoothly and that you don't see, you know, paintbrush streaks. And then I added on top of it, like, sponge brush painting for some texture and then using another brush to, like, flick specks of paint all over it, and uh, which are things that I've done on other customs as well. Most of it's done, though, I, I pretty much use two size brushes um, for almost everything. I use a size 12 flat shader for most of my full body repaints and any large areas. And then almost all of my other uh, paint for details and stuff is an 18 slash zero liner. I actually buy the one that Dolly Hair sells. Because um, I don't, my my craft stores near me don't carry a brush quite that small. Um, but before I had that itty-bitty brush, I would use uh, toothpicks. And I still use toothpicks for some stuff. But uh, I used to do my eye outlines with a toothpick for the first several years of doing customs. Uh, I would you know, never have thought to do a toothpick. That is a great idea. Yeah, I just, you know, you buy a, pick, a box of round toothpicks because they're the ones with the points at the end. And it... It's a little more challenging, you know, because you have to do it in lots of little steps instead of one brush stroke. Uh, but, you know, if I look back at my older customs, I can say, well, yeah, the eyes are, you know, the skill level in them is not up to where I'm doing it currently, but only part of that was because I was using a toothpick instead of a brush. Part of that was just that I was still growing in how I was doing the eyes. <laughs> So would it be safe Occasionally to say I use a different two... size for something, but I rely on those two size brushes for almost everything that I do now. <laughs> so it would be safe to say that those two size brushes are the tools that you absolutely could not live without as a customizer? Probably. <laughs> you know, um, when it boils down to those and, uh, and the ability to use the rehearing tool, which I used to have one of the wooden ones that Lady Daydreamer made, and uh, now I just use an X-Acto knife, one of those round ones that's like the thickness of a pencil, and you take the blade out at the end, and you put the needle in, and you cut the eye of the needle off at an angle, and uh, use that. Yep, I've been I've been meaning to make some more needles for my rehairing tool. Yeah, and I just I use a size twenty four um, tapestry needle. So I find that that size works the best for me, and that I usually don't have to uh, widen the plug holes before inserting it. Um, 
you know, some plastics are harder than others, and I do it so I don't break needles all the time. But sometimes I'll go through several customs on one needle, and sometimes I'll be on one custom and break, like, six needles. <laughs> but, you know, they, part of that key is the material they're made of on how hard it is, and part of it is uh, not putting too much hair through the hole at once. I mean, nowadays when I rehair, I usually, in any given plug, have two to three actual little divisions of hair. You know, like when you bind nylon, it kind of naturally divides out into a plug's worth of hair. Well, yeah. when I put in a plug, I'll put in one, and then I'll usually add a second or third to each plug to give the main a a thicker look to it, especially if I'm doing a a blend of colors. So I'll usually have, some plugs will have, you know, two or three of the same color, and some will have three different colors in the plug. Helps make it a little more natural looking and full, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I will have to try that. I, I generally just... Um, like if I'm doing one with a blend, I I've been known to hand blend the plugs strand by strand for the right blend. I have enough trouble blending when I do a tail. <laughs> but I uh I'll just sometimes I'll have one color out at a time and put it in where I want it and other times on my lap I'll have like on this leg I'll have colors A and B draped over my leg and on this leg I'll have C and D and I'll just pick strands from each of them and, and put them in as I go and I'm doubling and tripling, tripling the the plug holes. Um, and I've been able to do that in all the generations. The key is that you just can't put like three plugs worth of hair in at one time. You have to do one and then the next one. <laughs> Well, that so, is some um, good advice for all you budding customizers out there listening. <laughs> What's the um, probably the weirdest material you've ever used on a custom? Um, I probably already mentioned it, which is the I used a vinyl jump rope, and I cut it up into strips and used it for the tentacles on a Plava Laguna custom from the Fifth Element. Oh. which I still have her. She's actually on my fireplace mantle. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just I used a vinyl jump rope, and I was able to paint it and connect it to the body with epoxy sculpt. And That's probably the most you know, bizarre material that I've used on a custom. Uh, but it was one of those where I knew I wanted something different. I didn't want it to be sculpted and hard, and so I would, when I was out running errands in different stores, I would keep an open mind, and I was, I think I was in a Walmart at one point, and the exercise stuff was back there near the pony section, so I was headed back that way anyway, and saw them on an end aisle and went, that might work, (laughs) and took it home and cut it up and I've enjoyed the outcome from it. So it's always good to experiment with stuff that 
you might not think would work on a pony. <laughs> All right. Well, Rubna, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, My pleasure. It has been just wonderful being able to interview you and to have a, an interview with the customizer again after it being so long. And we're just so thrilled that you were our first one in a long time because you are one of one of the pioneers of customizing. And we do owe the customizing community, I feel, does owe you and and the rest of that founding group um, a lot because it put the idea out there. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to hopefully you guys will interview some more customizers in the future and we can hear other people's thoughts and opinions on the art form. Yeah, we do uh, we do want to do more customizer interviews in in the future, and uh, so um, I, I hope that we'll we'll stick to that, and I hope that maybe we can get you to come back a second time around. Sounds good to me. Yep. All right. Well, maybe we should all say good night to uh, our pony audience. Good night, everybody. Thank you for having me, and and thank you to everyone that uh, listened. Indeed. <laughs> thank you all. And uh, Pony Night Nights, everyone. And, of course, it wouldn't be the end of a show without kimono. So let me get our kimono. This is Kimono, and you have listened to Pony Talk. See you next week. Bye-bye. All right. Good night, everyone. All right. Night.